What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the sapphic speak easy for queer women of color. I am money and I am recovering from a migraine. So I hope this goes well. (laughs) And if anybody has migraine remedies, please send them my way. Um, The medicine ain't medicining like it used to. So any migraine remedies I am open to. All right. Okay, so let's drop the intro so we can go ahead and get into the episode. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe inside my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sister, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, love you, you love. All right, y'all. So if y'all are listening to this as I record, um, that means you're a patron. So hey, y'all. <laughs> Thank y'all so much for continuing to support Queer Walk the Podcast. Um, if you're not a patron already, you can head over to patreon.com slash queerwalkpod, P-O-D, and get early access to the episodes while I record, unedited. You never know what I might be saying on this mic, um, unedited. So go ahead, head on over there and um, become a patron. You can also listen to the edited episodes. Um, so if you're listening to this on the playback, on Spotify, Google Podcast. Um, Apple Podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, you can find Queer Walk. And send the link to a friend. Why not? So, there are two ways that you can ensure that Queer Walk keeps on coming. Um, the first way is by loving us out loud. You know, support is a verb. So, go ahead and hit that share button. Um, rate the episodes when they drop review leave us a review um you can request a queer walk queer pock or a topic um you can repost the episodes when you see me posting about them uh and reply use the hashtag queer woc to talk all things the podcast or you can send me an email at queerwalkpod at gmail.com or you can just send me a dm it's not that deep <laughs> the second way to support queer walk is monetarily um, podcasting is not free. Um, and I am a team of one trying to delegate and get help. So, um, you can do that by becoming a patron, which is a monthly donation where you can sustain the podcast. I have some suggested donations on the Patreon, but you can also give as much or as little as your pockets will allow. Or if you're not into this monthly contribution, you can give a one-time donation over on the cash app, which is dollar sign queer walk pod. POD. All 
right, y'all. Well, I'm moving on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the Week segment. And the Queer Walk slash Queer Pock of the Week segment is the segment where I just shout out or highlight some queer woman of color or queer person of color who is doing dope shit, has done dope shit, is doing something that I think y'all should know about. Just uplift and give flowers to queer women of color and queer folks of color doing incredible things. So today is no different. Uh, the Queer Walk of the Week, this episode is deaf filmmaker Jade Bryan. And I want to shout out to uh, Deaf Queer on IG, at Deaf Queer, for posting about Jade because I would not have known about Jade Bryan had Deaf Queer not posted her. So shout out to them. <laughs> Jade Bryant is a Jamaican-American lesbian and the first Black Deaf award-winning filmmaker. Ain't that dope? So in 1993, Jade graduated with a BFA degree in film, um, in film production from NYU. And everybody knows NYU Film School is like one of the world's top film schools. So her work uh, centers on and addresses the uh, erasure of folks of color and black deaf voices in film and television. In 2012, she started the Deaf Talent Movement, hashtag Deaf Talent, to raise awareness for those who are deaf and black or deaf and otherwise uh, racialized people. Um, And she's uh, talked about how black deaf people and black... um, Black deaf people and POC deaf people have been systematically boxed out of the film and television industries. Since the beginning of her career, Jade has kind of worked as like a go-to person in the industry um, in Hollywood for producers, writers, directors, executives, anybody who's trying to include deaf representation in their um, projects. Jade has been kind of like a consultant person for them to make sure that deaf cultural representation is accurate in their work. So just incredible. Her first film was a short film titled Cutting the Edge of a Free Bird. And it was about a confused deaf lesbian in high school. Um, And she was struggling to decide between going to a deaf or a hearing college um, while her deaf mother tried to make her like, do what she wanted her to do, right? And and the main character is black in this. It's a short film. I'll put the link in the description of this episode of where you can watch it. It's available on Jade's website and on YouTube. Um, this film... Oh, this short film is also, like, widely held as the first film created by a black deaf lesbian to be shown at film festivals around the world. So... Huge, huge history-making shit. (laughs) I feel like I have a soft spot for, like, um, lesbians of color in, like, the media and film industries. Because I just, you know, I look at what's, what's like, widely or mainstream available, and it just feels so whack. (laughs) So, (laughs) I love to know that there are, like, queer women of color um, pushing to make sure that we get some more interesting stories being told. A little bit more about Jade. So she produced and directed the award-winning documentary, um, Listen to the Hands of Our People, uh, which came out in 1994. Uh, Listen to the Hands of Our People is a documentary film 
that uh, centered on the lives of seven HIV positive folks who were also deaf um, and were living with AIDS, AIDS in the early 90s. Um, since then, she's produced over a dozen documentaries and films and continues to work as consultants, uh, a consultant on dozens more uh, films and TV shows that aim to include deaf culture. And currently, what's Jade up to? Jade is trying to get a sitcom pilot about a deaf lesbian superhero picked up. Can somebody please pick this up? So I was reading about this pilot, um, and it's basically like this compound of deaf lesbians who discover that they have superpowers. I want to see this yesterday. (laughs) I was about to say tomorrow, but I want to see this yesterday. Can somebody please pick this up? I think it would it would go great on Amazon um, Prime or uh, Disney Plus. Like, come on. We need this show. And I said I was going to stop mentioning this because I don't want to be, you know, objectifying or sexualizing people. But Jade is also real fine, y'all. So <laughs> shout out to Jade Bryan. <laughs> Doing the great work of black deaf lesbian representation and deaf. Uh, of color representation in Hollywood. It's time for that black feminist healing. This, that real shit that make believe. Come on, money, please help me get my shit together. I listen to the moment when times get rough. Put all my headphones, turn it all the way up. Who's gonna give you grounding tips? There's nobody better. Oh, money, help me get my shit together. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, I'm um, moving on along to the Mental Moment with Money segment. Um, The Mental Moment with Money is the segment in which I try to do some mental health debunking, unpacking, quick tips, uh, coping skills, grounding strategies, anything to help us with our mental well-being, right? (laughs) Because I am a therapist, even though I'm not your therapist. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and so today... I feel like, okay, this might get into a traditional mental moment towards the end. But first, I just want to talk a little bit about boundaries. So this is a mental moment on boundaries. Um, I feel like it's important to give the back, the backstory first, though. All right. So this mental moment is actually inspired by a post, um, a reel that uh, Dr. Martin did so Dr. Raquel Martin, if y'all not following her, um, her handle is at Raquel Martin PhD. Um, she's another black therapist that I think y'all should be following. She's incredible. Um, and she made this reel about a boundary versus a rule. And I was like, oh my gosh, I talk about this so much in sessions. I want to do a mental moment on it. But before I go into the boundary versus rule as inspired by Dr. Martin, I wanted to talk a little bit more about boundaries because I feel like it's one of those words now that like is everywhere. Everybody is talking about boundaries and setting boundaries and setting boundaries and saving your life and all this stuff. And I'm just like, why this conversation on boundaries, right? 
So to back it on up, my understanding of the origins of boundaries comes out the earliest work we see around boundaries and relationships is from Dr. Murray Bowen, who's also one of the big wig theorists in uh, marriage and family therapy, um, the type of therapist that I am. And so marriage and family therapists think about problems as relational and systemic as opposed to individual and like locked inside of you, right? So um, Bowen is like widely held as like the father of family systems theory. Um, And so he started writing about family systems um, in the 1960s. And that's as early as I can find that someone started talking about boundaries in relation to relationships. You know, maybe, maybe Burton Alifee, <laughs> the, 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 the um, uh, cybernetics person was talking about it, but I didn't, I didn't see him using the term boundaries. Bowen is the earliest that I could find. So what was Bo- how, what are boundaries, right? <laughs> like what, how did Bowen use the term? How did it become part of our like relationship lexicon? Okay, so, so what Bowen was doing when he created family systems theory was he was attempting to map how we solicit attention, approval, and support from each other in order to get our needs met. So he was just trying to like map that, right? He was working with his family. He worked a lot with families who had a member who had a severe um, mental episode, whether that be like a depressive episode or a schizophrenic episode. And so he was just trying to see like, how do we get our needs met in families where like big shit is happening, right? Um, and so that's that's the the foundation. I think it's it's always important to know where these theories come from, right? So that's that's what he was doing. He was trying to map <laughs> that. So he talked about that this like interplay, this call and response, basically for us to get our needs and um, expectations met from each other, how we feel supported and approved by um, others. Um, that this is usually a healthy and normal interaction, usually. But sometimes it can become problematic and, at its very worst, unsafe. Um, and so he went on to theorize why that happens. And this is, I promise y'all, it's going to get to boundaries. <laughs> so um, the first, I guess, problematic thing that he saw arise, like why when it becomes an issue is enmeshment. So I think y'all have heard me talk about enmeshment before on the podcast. I feel like I've done a mental moment about boundaries, like way, way throwback, um, like how to how to name boundaries, how to make boundaries, whatever. But anyway, what is enmeshment? So enmeshment, even you, even the word sounds like it, right? You just smushed all up together. <laughs> it happens when boundaries are so permeable and so unclear that we can't differentiate ourselves or become independent without risking the relationship, right? So we can't see ourselves as independent or individual because of the opinions, feelings, needs of other people we're in relationship with. That's enmeshment. So the healthy alternative to that 
is differentiation, as Bowen theorizes. He says that differentiation is the ability to see ourselves as independent, yet interdependent with those that we're in relationship with. Um, So differentiation is kind of like, I don't want to say the opposite because it's really like a spectrum. And you can also be differentiated in one way and enmeshed in another way. Um, So differentiation describes your capacity to think about your own needs, your own wants, your own desires within a relationship, while also recognizing the needs, wants, and desires of others and how those interact with each other. So following Bowen's sort of like thought process around healthy relationships, um, clear and specific boundaries help keep us with a good sense of ourselves and connected to others without triangulating ourselves. And triangulation is another problem that Bowen found that happens in, in relationship systems. And what triangulation is, is exactly how it sounds. It's like two people have tension or a problem, and then they pull in a third to diffuse that tension or problem, right? You've probably experienced this. Like, <laughs> two people are beefing, and they come to you to either vent about it or ask you for a solution. That's triangulation. Now, this is me adding to the theory. I think a lot of people read Bowen and assume that triangulation is always bad and it should never happen. Um, I actually don't think that's what he meant. (laughs) I think he talks a lot about hierarchy in relationships so that triangles between parents and children are dangerous and cause problems in families that um, triangles between, you know, generations where you're passing on a beef you have with somebody else in the family. So like, you know, the kid don't like their auntie because they daddy don't like their auntie. You know, those kind of triangles are unhealthy. But I actually read Bowen as saying that sometimes triangulation is necessary. <laughs> you know, we need to diffuse the tension because that provides a balance in a relationship. If the tension just stays in between, um, sometimes it won't ever get resolved, right? So that's my read. That's me adding to Bowen. If there's any other systemic therapists out there who have thoughts on Bowen and triangulation, I would love to hear it. Um, yeah. So this is how we get to all this talk around boundaries, right? Because Bowen posited back in the 60s that in order to not be enmeshed and also to not cut off, like, you know, to just like say, I'm not dealing with this and leave um, in order to stay connected and be in this healthy place of differentiation, we have to have clear and specific boundaries. I am really trying to understand why talking about boundaries is so popular right now. Um, I've been journaling about this. I, you know... I've said this before. I definitely know I've said this before, but my understanding of boundaries is that they're supposed to put you in relationship, not take you out of relationship. Um, But the way people talk about boundaries is like limitations, right? Like it's boundaries aren't a bridge. They're, they're a way out of relation with people like that's my boundary. And then that's it. (laughs) You know, um, 
I don't think, I don't think that's what family therapy would say about boundaries. I honestly don't think that's what much of therapy would say about boundaries. Boundaries are an invitation into relationship, but that's not the way it's talked about popularly now. I even think about the therapists who are writing books and articles about setting boundaries. It really seems like a guide on how to cut people out. And I don't know how it got there. I feel like it took a sharp turn in 2018, like right after Me Too hit a lot of visibility. And I I was teaching Intro to Women and Gender Studies at this time. And so to me, all this talk around having good boundaries and healthy boundaries and strong boundaries felt a little like personal responsibility for the relationships that you're in. It felt like if you just got good enough boundaries, you won't experience abuse. And I'm just like, (laughs) that is, that is not true, right? Like not even in the way Bowen theorized it initially around boundaries. You know, he's not saying that dysfunction won't happen. Um, if you have boundaries, he's just saying it's like less likely to happen if both or more, however many people are in the relationship, understand each other's boundaries. He's not saying that that harm doesn't happen just because you have boundaries. And so around 2018, I started to recognize that, right? That people were talking about boundaries as if you alone can control the harm that happens to you in relationships. This is why, this is why I don't fuck with theories that don't include a social analysis of stuff because we live in a misogynistic, patriarchal, transphobic, ableist, all the things world, right? So we are conditioned to treat certain people in relationships particular ways. And we actually got to do a lot of unlearning to get to a space of having healthy relationships having non-hierarchical relationships, you know, like addressing power in relationships. So yeah, I don't like that way boundaries is used as like this personal responsibility for the kind of relationships you experience now. Another reason why I think boundaries are so popular right now is because the pandemic forced folks back into family systems or like living systems that they had done a lot of work to differentiate from. And those systems were probably like enmeshed in some way where like you can't be an individual and you have to give up your needs for the sake of the system. Um, I know there's been a lot of work on like uh, child abuse and intimate partner violence increasing since um, 2020, since the pandemic. So I think a lot of people try to find something to stabilize themselves and feel like they had some kind of like say over what was happening to them while being forced back into these living quarters (laughs) with people that they probably developed a lot of coping strategies to be differentiated from. So that's another reason why I think boundaries are so popular right now, why we got, you know, New York Times bestsellers about setting boundaries because people were literally locked in place <laughs> with people that maybe they didn't want to be, right? Or who weren't safe. I also think boundaries are important right now, or I think boundaries are popular right now because 
Because I don't think there's a lot of clarity between where we end and the world begins. What do I mean by that? Um, I think what I mean is like, there's so many aesthetics, moods, um, advertisements that are constantly telling you to like buy or be or go <laughs> to, to, to experience yourself that it's really hard to actually have like a clear understanding of your edges, you know, like you start to feel very nebulous. Like if you ask somebody to describe themselves um, or what they do for fun, you know, it's just been, I feel like we've been in a two and a half year dissociation slump. Like, like everybody's just been trying to escape, escape their reality, escape their jobs, escape their body. Um, and so it's really hard to get a grasp on, okay, what's me and what's the world? And I think a way that people have started to lean into that is boundaries, right? So I might not be able to um, have a hold on my identities or how I would describe myself, things that my values, you know, things that are important to me, but I can tell you my limit around something. I can tell you what I have capacity for. That feels a lot easier to do than to do the work of like, who am I? What does it mean to exist as me? You know, <laughs> these are just my thoughts. These are total hypotheses. Y'all let me know what y'all think around why boundaries are so popping and popular and why there's so much conversation around boundaries. Okay. <laughs> so that was my, that was my little back, back story on how we got to the present day with boundaries. <laughs> so now I just wanted to do a little quick rundown of um, a, a boundary versus a rule versus a threat. Um, yeah, like I said, Dr. Martin did a, a reel on this. I'll share it when the episode goes live. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> and it speaks to what comes up in my sessions so much. So y'all know I do a lot of relational work, right? Like, um, couples, polycules, stuff like that. Um, and then when I'm seeing individuals, I'm doing a lot of relational work too, because people are talking about the relationships in their lives. So what's the difference between a boundary, a rule, and a threat? A boundary guides your behavior. A rule guides someone else's behavior. A threat is when you have the power to guide someone else's behavior out of fear. So think of a threat as like a rule plus the the actual um, enforcing of it through fear. So boundaries are intended to shift your own reactions, responses, um, uh, relation to a situation and re boundaries remind you of your own power. Like, this is what I'm able to do. That's what a boundary does. A rule is intended to shift someone else's behavior, someone else's response, get them to do something different. And it reminds them of your authority. Um, and a threat is intended to shift someone else's behavior 
and remind them to fear your power. So it's not just that you have the authority, right? But it's that they need to fear that authority. It reminds me of like authoritarian parenting (laughs) um, versus authoritative. Authoritative is like, you know, I'm telling you to do this and you got to do it because I'm your mama. But authoritarian is like, you should fear me because I'm your mama. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Um, So again, (laughs) boundaries guide my behavior. Remind me of my power. Rules guide your behavior. Remind you of my power. Threats guide your behavior. And you better fear my power. So another way I try to get folks that I work with to differentiate between rules, boundaries, and threats. A boundary, ask yourself the question, what do I have capacity for? What can I take? A rule, ask yourself the question, what will I not allow? Um, I had a friend in grad school who used to do this hand motion, right, of like, A boundary is like a hug, right? And a rule or is like a limit. So you turn your hands out like, no, you pushing it away. And a threat, ask yourself, fuck around and find out. (laughs) Y'all know, you know, the more you fuck around, the more you find out, right? That's a threat. So again, boundary, what do I have capacity for? Rule, what will I not allow? Threat, (laughs) we're going to fuck around and find out. Um, So I wanted to give some examples of this because Dr. Martin did it so great in um, her reel. Um, So here's a scenario. Scenario, your partner is seeing someone else. A boundary might sound like this. When you see other people without telling me, I feel devalued and no longer want to continue this relationship. You see how that's a boundary? Because it's like you focused. It reminds you of your power to end a relationship that's not, you know, sustaining or fulfilling you in a way that you want to. You're not telling this person that they can't see the other person, but you're telling them what you are going to do if they continue to see people and not tell you. See? Boundary. Focused on shifting your response. A rule. Same scenario. Here's a rule. You have to stop seeing other people. You see how it attempts to shift the other person's actions? That's a rule. A threat. If you don't stop seeing that other person... I'm going to end this relationship. So you're still trying to shift their behavior, right? It's still them focused. But it's also followed up with a like, I have the power, okay? (laughs) I will end this shit right now. I'll shut it down. (laughs) It's a threat. (laughs) I, I think it is a lot with like attachment styles too. You know, so um, like usually people who um, threaten to leave relationships, 
have like anxious attachment. Like you already feel like you're going to be left. So you're going to do the leaving before the other person. Right. So just like instead of talking about it, instead of setting a boundary, you like, I'm gonna leave. Yeah. So y'all see the difference between boundary rules and threats. I'm going to give another scenario that comes up so much, so much in therapy. So the scenario is you are being stonewalled by your partner. And stonewalling, I'm going to have to do a whole nother uh, mental moment on the four horsemen of the apocalypse or whatever the Gottmans called it. That We're going to get to that. <laughs> but y'all have probably heard the term stonewalling. It's probably the most uh, popular horseman of the apocalypse. It means to totally shut someone out. So a version of stonewalling that is really, really common is the silent treatment to, um, yeah, just stop talking to somebody. Uh, ghosting is not stonewalling unless you've already had a relationship with that person. Um, people, people ask me this a lot. I feel like I need to think about it more, like the difference between ghosting and stonewalling. But to me, the difference is stonewalling happens in the middle of like an active conflict with someone that you have a relationship with. So, yeah, ghosting could just like happen at any time. Nothing ever happened and they just disappear. Stonewalling is a lot more like I am giving you the silent treatment. I'm shutting you out. I'm walking around you as if you're not even here to let you know I'm mad at you. Right. That's stonewalling. So the scenario is you are being stonewalled. So a boundary, this is what a boundary might sound like. I can't continue to do the things I love doing for you when you are not communicating with me. A rule, if you don't communicate with me, I won't know what we're doing for dinner. So talk to me. (laughs) That's a rule, right? You're trying to focus on changing their behavior. A threat, if you if you can't speak, if you can't use your words, I'll just leave. It ain't no reason for me to be here. <laughs> These may or may not have came directly from sessions that <laughs> just kidding, y'all. But it, it it just it's so common. It's it's um almost funny to me how patternistic um uh, conflict happens in relationships. Like we really don't have a huge range of the way we respond to conflict. I know everything feels so new and individual, like nobody else can understand, but oh, every relationship I work with, I'm like, wow. No, So the activating thing might be real different from relationship to relationship, but it's just like about a handful of ways that we respond for real. So yeah, so I hope this helps you in your next conflict. (laughs) I hope this helps you think more about boundaries, that boundaries are a guide to your behavior that keep you in relationship, that remind you of your power. Yeah, and so of course, sometimes these can like overlap and a, a rule could sound a lot like a boundary or a boundary could sound a lot like a rule. But I think those um, those guiding questions, right? A boundary is what do I have capacity for? A rule is what will I not allow? A threat, you are in fight mode if you're threatening, right? <laughs> so just reminding yourself of those things. Like, am I am I setting a boundary right now? Am I am I? I don't even like the language of setting a boundary. Am I? 
communicating a boundary right now? Am I communicating a rule right now? Am I threatening right now? Yeah, so y'all let me know what y'all think about boundaries, rules, threats. Um, hit me up at Queer Walk Pod on all the things. <laughs> Right. Well, I'm moving on along to the topic segment. And the topic segment here on Queer Walk is just our queer potpourri segment is where I talk about all the things that don't fit into the other segments. So um, I don't want to say much else here. I'll encourage y'all to head over to the Queer Walk Instagram at Queer Walk Pod to check out the IG live that I did on a league of their own. But I just wanted to make it official and put it on the mic that, y'all, A League of Their Own is some good-ass lesbian cinema, okay? (laughs) And I thought, you know, uh, because the Queer Walk of the Week was uh, a lesbian filmmaker, I'm like, I gotta talk about A League of Their Own on this episode. So, A League of Their Own, if the title sounds familiar, it's because it was a movie I think that came out in the early 90s. But the one I'm talking about is the new Amazon Prime show. Uh, And it was co-created by um, Abby Jacobson. Abby Jacobson from um, Broad City. And just like the original movie, it's a a comedy about um, World War II era um, All-American Baseball League. Uh, for women because, you know, most of the men are drafted or volunteered to go fight in the war. And so the women are taking over factory jobs and baseball. Yeah, y'all, um, this is my glowing encouragement. And also me shooting my shot at being the official <laughs> podcast of a league of their own if it gets a second season because this show is so good, all right? So, um, we follow Carson, is that her name? Uh, Carson, who's Abby uh, Jacobson's character, as she tries out for the league, to make the league, and she's just like our entry point into this world of all these other stories of queer women who play um, baseball during this World War II era league, right? So, I know what y'all are already thinking, right? Like, it's a period piece. It's probably going to be white as fuck. Um, Why would I watch this? So, I encourage (laughs) y'all to watch it because it's not white as fuck. From the very first episode, they address race. Like, straight off. They don't hide from it. I think the... I don't. I never watched the... Well, I know I watched it, the original movie, but I was so young, I don't remember. But I don't imagine they had any kind of, like, commentary on uh, all-American means white, so we can't have black girls on the team, right? So, they do that episode one of this series, and... And... We get her whole black world. Her name is Maxine, right? <laughs> Maxine Chapman. We don't just get her being rejected from this team because of racism. We get her whole black ass world, including 
her trans uncle in the 1940s. Like I've never, I'm, I'm trying to think still since, since I've watched it twice now and I still can't think of any representation or cinema or whatever where we got trans representation in a period piece, black trans representation in a period piece blew my mind. And what I love even more than that is we get the realities of homophobia and racism during the World War II era without it being, oh, look at the suffering. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I'm not collapsed in sadness or dejectedness um, by watching A League of Their Own. And it, it, so if you can understand what I'm saying, I feel like I don't want to spoil, even though it's been out, but like, I really want y'all to watch it. So I don't want to spoil. <laughs> um, it walks this brilliant line of like, this is the hardness that black folks, um, Latinx folks, like there's, there's all these moments where brown people have to choose whiteness in order to be included in something. Loved that. Fucking loved it. Um, It doesn't shy away from, like, the hardness of racism, the realities of racism, the realities of queer phobia, you know, like, being arrested if you're a woman on the street with um, pants on or being fined or, like, uh, if you don't have, like, a chaperone with you or whatever, you know, it doesn't shy away from any of that stuff. And it still is funny as hell. It's gay as hell. <laughs> we get, like, really developed characters. I just want a season two so much. Um, I think, I don't know. I've been considering doing, like, a episodic review on the Patreon, but... Everybody I talked to is like, oh, I haven't watched it. So I feel like I just needed to do a PSA of y'all got to watch it. Y'all got to watch it. It's good. I promise. I promise. (laughs) And it's only eight episodes. So you can binge it real quick, real quick, and then we can talk about it. Yes. So if your spooky season is not filled with watching scary stuff, I encourage you to fill your time with watching A League of Their Own. Amazing. I just think it's amazing. I haven't heard anything about a season two, but I demand. I demand a season two. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. If you've already watched it, hit me up and let me know what you think. I was tweeting about it. I think I only saw like one other person that I follow tweeting about it. Y'all, this is really good queer women content. Um, love it. All right, y'all. I'm going to move it on along to the Curved Chronicles segment. And the Curved Chronicles segment is where I talk about my dating woes and wins and or your dating woes and wins. You can send your Curved Chronicles to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com or just send them to the DMs on Instagram or Twitter. Um, so I haven't really been dating lately, but I have been hearing a lot of chatter, okay? (laughs) And um, yeah, I just wanted to talk about this because I put it on my IG story, but I feel like I didn't flush it out enough. And I also was very all or nothing 
around it, which I tend to be. Um, yeah. So in trying to create a gray area in between the all or nothing, um, have we taken astrology too far, queers? <laughs> okay. So on my IG story, I was talking about how I was like around this group of queer folks who were talking about like, um, basically like Capricorns need to evolve and that Aries are like mature, right? And this is the first time I've ever heard that because, and I, this is what I wanted to expand on. Cause it's like, I'm not shitting on Aries. My last, my last two crushes were Aries. Okay. Um, and my, and then the crush before that was a Sagittarius and the current crush is a Sagittarius, right? So it's like, <laughs> I, I love some um, Aries energy and fire sign energy. Um, but what I was saying is that everything I know about the Zodiac is like Aries is the first sign in the Zodiac. So it's very start some shit, don't finish some shit <laughs> energy. <laughs> um and so is Capricorn. So Capricorn, they're they're both cardinal signs, right? So they are the like idea people, the get stuff started um, energy. But Capricorn is a much older zodiac sign. It's a much older energy, right? So I always think about Aries as like the little brother energy, like you know, let's climb a tree, <laughs> that that is like, you know, little brother energy. And I think about Capricorn as like old man energy. Like, oh, back when I climbed that tree. That's, you know, so it's like, I think they're very similar, but because of their placements in the Zodiac, like very different when it comes to expression of that energy. Um, Yeah. And so I was just like, wow. I've, I don't think I've ever heard people talk about Aries as like this like wise or mature energy not that it can't be I think it has to do with placements all this other stuff right what else you got going on birth order all these things um but it did make me think about um how there's just like so much happening with the zodiac right like (sighs) astrological signs have elements you know earth air fire and water they are fixed, mutable, and cardinal. Um, they can be in different houses in your birth chart. Um, and this is not even talking about like oppositions and trines and squares. So there's like, there's just like a lot to signs. And I just, I really was trying to figure out why have we like reduced it and boxed it down into like the memes that we share or just like dismissing people based off of like their big three or their sun sign. I feel like there's a lot to say here, but I feel like queers gravitate to astrology because, um, because we, there's like a sense of belonging, right? Like, I think it's, it's not a religion, but it's like, a it can be a ritualistic and spiritual practice that, doesn't shun us or shame us for who we are, right? And a lot of um, spiritual practices do. So I think queers are drawn to it because of that. Um, I think the idea of like 
you are among the stars. Like, you can see yourself in this. Like, and maybe I'm taking it too deep, but it feels like with astrology, you can see yourself as a manifestation of the universe or a manifestation of God. Um, and a lot of queer people don't get that. We don't get that from um, from traditional, like, religions and churches and stuff. So I think we cling to astrology because it gives us that same good feeling that spiritual practices and religions do without all the, like, damnation and all that for being gay, right? Or queer. Yeah. And it highlights how we're all connected. Yes. Um, which is why I don't understand why we use it to shut other people out or to shut people. <laughs> I'm like the very same thing that drew you to it. You are now like doing. Um, so it just made me think about what are we really responding to with Zodiac signs? And then, you know, this is the Curve Chronicles. So like a really, in a really messy way, it's like, there is there actually a Zodiac sign that you wouldn't date? Why? Like, please, please explain to me. I want to know. Um, and so I was trying to think about this, right? Because I'm like, okay, I really don't have no beef with Aries. Like, I, yeah, like I said, I've I've had major, major crushes on Aries. Uh, had very deep feelings for Aries before. These are sun sign Aries people. I don't know about other placements. Um if I've like had a crush on an Aries rising or something, I don't know. Um, Capricorns are some of my favorite people. Uh, I'm Cap rising. I love Capricorn energy, partly because Capricorns are cardinal signs, right? So um, Capricorn is like, oh, we should do this. And me as a Virgo, I'm like, say less, you know? <laughs> so it's a very complimentary energy, like the we should do it. And the mutability of Virgo being like, okay, I'm going to edit this. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to organize it. Okay. Um, yeah. And so the the mutable signs, uh, Virgo, Sagittarius, Pisces. What's the other mutable one? Gemini. Gemini. Um, so Gemini, Virgo, Sagittarius, and Pisces are the mutable signs. I think, I think, all of the um, the mutable signs kind of get read as uh, like critical or like, I don't know, like doing too much, <laughs> I think is a way that um, people describe muta- mutable signs. But I think, I think mutable signs actually just have so many ideas running through their heads at one time. Um that it, it just don't always come out the way that we need it to. <laughs> and then the fixed signs. So Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, and Aquarius. Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, Aquarius, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, those are the signs that it's like, this is who I am, okay? <laughs> you, what you see is what you get, Um uh, when I when I think about fixed signs, I think about them being like really focused on other worlds being possible. Like, why are we living like this? <laughs> we can live another way. Um, but also that they uh, fixed signs usually come to help us move things along. 
And the only way I'm able to remember cardinal, mutable, and fixed signs is because of the seasons, right? So when you think about cardinal signs, they're usually the start of a season. Um, And then you think about mutable signs, they end a season, you know, like Virgo ends the summer. Um, And then fixed signs are in the middle of the season, right? So this is when like stuff is growing and flourishing, we thotting and bopping, right? That's how I remember the energy. And so when I think about the signs in those three groups, there's not really one that I wouldn't fuck with. Um, but I hear so commonly, I think the two signs that I hear people say that they will not date the most is a Virgo and a Gemini. <laughs> so I'm like, y'all got beef with the mutable signs. This is... So what I was kind of guessing on the IG story is that when we say we won't date a certain sign, it's because we're thinking about a particular person from our past, right? So I'm like, does that actually have to do with like the actual placement or the energy of that sign? Does it? I think kind of going back to the mental moment of this episode, kind of like boundaries, you know? <laughs> it's like, is that a rule or boundary? <laughs> is it putting us out of relationship? Um, is is compatibility between signs a real thing? Like, I, I just, I can't help but think about how like the sun sign is just the tip of the iceberg in understanding your birth chart. And so, are we going off of people's sun signs when, like, our Mercury, you know, like, how we communicate, our Venus, like, how we are in relationships, are those signs, like, way more important, you know? My Mercury is in Virgo, too, so if you don't, (laughs) I communicate like a Virgo, Um, and my, my Venus is in Scorpio, What I understand that to mean is, like, I'm very all or nothing in relationships. Like, it's very hard for me to have a middle ground when it comes to relationships. If I don't like you, it's very hard for me to stay connected to you or hide that. (laughs) Um, And if I like you, I'm all about you, right? Love you to pieces. You my peoples. Um, Yeah, so I wonder if, like, okay, if you dismissing, like, oh, I don't fuck with Geminis, but this person has like their Venus, their Mercury in like Sagittarius, for example, with, is that, is that somebody that you would actually be drawn to? Y'all, I was talking to this person at this like queers meetup and they asked me my big three. Oh no, I think they were like, oh, I know you're a Virgo, but what's your other... And I said, oh, my rising is Capricorn. And they physically stepped back away from me and were like, oh, I don't do Capricorns. <laughs> I was like, this, this feels, this feels odd. Feels odd. It felt Capraphobic. <laughs> I, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious. Are there actually like absolute no's to signs that you would date? Um, and why? Why? So if you deep off in your astrology bag, um, please 
Give me some feedback around this. Are there actually signs that um you don't date? Tell me why. Um, does it have to do with their placement? You know? Like, does it matter if it's like their sun, their rising, their Mercury, their Venus? Uh, if they have a stellium, whatever, you know? Tell me that. And also, um, if anybody can help me understand what's happening with me in this fire sign loop, <laughs> I would love to know. Like, I just, I just be out here googly-eyed over Sagittarius and Aries. That's been it. I've pretty much all 2022. I think that was an episode. <laughs> Thanks, y'all, for tuning in again to another episode of Queer Walk the Podcast. You can find me on all the things at Queer Walk Pod. Um, yeah, and leave me a message. Suggest a topic. Let me know if you've watched A League of Their Own. <laughs> all right, y'all. This episode of Queer Walk the Podcast was made possible thanks to the monetary contributions of Amanda, Hazel, Das, and Yessi, and Taish, who all became new patrons. So thanks, y'all. This episode was also made possible by the listeners in Pearl Land, Texas, Eugene, Oregon, and Tallahassee, Florida. 